right, we're back again with Ben again with Ken and Glenn. Again. Again. <laughs> Tell them what we're talking about, Glenn. This is, this is just a fun one. Historians love to play what if. Uh, this is what we do when we lock ourselves what in secret rooms. What if Spartacus had a Piper Cub airplane? Yes, exactly. He would probably win <laughs> until he ran out of fuel. But today we're not talking about Spartacus. We're talking about a subject near and dear here approaching the anniversary of American independence on July 4th. Say, what would have happened if Britain had prevented American independence and somehow the local Americans had lost the war? Yay! <laughs> I think you mean, who's a? Oh, I mean, rule Britannia, Britannia rule the waves. That's what we mean. Uh, here's the thing. When, when I saw this topic, I thought it'd be kind of fun to maybe work backwards a little bit and name a couple of things that did stay the same, even though Britain lost in, in our war for independence. And uh, one of which, like one of the huge things, and I don't think most people realize this, is how much our legal system is based on English common law and English statute law. I mean... The only difference, honestly, is the Whigs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. In, a, in a real sense, yeah. yeah. Because uh, the most popular and widely read and widely used textbooks for people studying the law, uh, Blackstone's Commentaries and, and Cook, those two books are still studied today and were still the primary books to, to study to become a lawyer well into the 19th century. And I know that some of your favorite guys, like uh, Thomas Jefferson and, and William Marshall, I mean, that's the books that, they would have read. That's exactly the books they would have. They did read, would have read. That was how you became a lawyer. Is you you read to, your Blackstone, you, you read your Cook. You went to another lawyer who happened to have copies of those books. You read them. Uh, and even later on, when America had gained its independence, they, they still had those books. And basically, they just published supplements of American addendums right, to right. Blackstone and Cokes. So, so yeah, so, so the English common law, you know, is the foundation of American law. And uh, another thing that, that to me is very interesting is money. When, we, when, when the Treaty of Paris was signed and went into effect in December of 1783, it's not like everyone said, all right, stop using British pounds. Done. Now here's the American dollar. No, not even close. Uh, it, it's a good 20 years before we even produce our first actually minted American dollar, it's, it's, in, it's in Washington's first term as president. Right, 95, wasn't 95, it? 95, yeah. before we first have our, our own, you know, minted currency. And then Spanish dollars, Dutch guilders, and British pounds are still used in the United States as valid currency, once again, well into the 19th century. Well, I think Spanish, even the government allowed that Spanish dollars could be used until 1851 yeah. or two. Yeah, exactly. Can, so, so All debts, public and private. Yeah, so, so you know, the, the money system that was in place in colonial uh, America s stays in place w with the new republic. And then, of course, also there's the, the English Bill of Rights, which, uh, you know, obviously predates our Bill of Rights and our Constitution in the, in the early 1790s. And has many of the same things, if not all, already in place. So there are certain things that kind of didn't change that would have been the same either way. Right. It's just maybe, you know, they'd have still been around a little bit longer, but they were certainly around for a good 50 to 60 years after. And that's a good point. And I'm going to bring up one, too, since you've mentioned this, that seems like a derpy derps thing to say, but I think it's incredibly valid in the big picture. The language stayed the same. The yeah. I mean, we all used English. Right, and, right, and that, right. And that was, even though they had just been at war, that was an incredibly unifying effect that was both understood at the time and yet underestimated at the right. time. And 
this this language thing, it's I, I think it's sometime in the 1820s is when Noah Webster, you know, publishes his American Dictionary or his Dictionary of the American Language. He's he's very much a, a, a linguistic uh, chauvinist in a lot of ways. He's like, no, we've got to we've got to differentiate American English from English. We speak American, not English. And so he, in his dictionary, he consciously changes the pronunciation and spelling of words from the English way to the, quote, American way, which is why we don't spell color, C-O-L-O-U-R. We spell it C-O-L-O-R. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> even Mr. J, <laughs> radical that he was, you know this, yeah, yeah. he actually began a small movement that obvi- weirdly never got any traction <laughs> to completely reject the modern English language and have America adopt ancient Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> as he called it. Because for some reason that but, didn't catch because, on. <laughs> yeah, you know, Anglo-Saxon was the language of the of the democracies and, That's and, right. and, the, and the good, brave, and true men of, right. the, of the earth. And, well, yeah, well, it fits into his worldview. Exactly. And, and, you know, he was one of several people that argued that the, the Anglo-Saxon proto-democracy, you know, had it been left untrammeled by the Norman conquest, would have developed into whatever utopian thing he thought of at that time. Right. But, uh, but those are all <laughs> things that stayed the same or could have. But, we're, but, but speaking of things that would have been different, you know, once we start down the, down the, the what-if what trail. <laughs> Who knows where we'll end up. Exactly. Well, this, I mean, and the thing is, the first thing, obviously, well, here's what I would say. Even if America, the United States, had not won its independence in the wars of the 1770s, 1780s, eventually it would have had to have devolved into something like what the British Empire is now, which is not an empire but a commonwealth of independent or associated nations. You know, like Canada is now. So would the United States have been had, you know, the revolution not taken place. But, but that's in a, in a longer-term sense, perhaps. But in a, in, a, in a closer sense, boy, how well would Great Britain have been <laughs> positioned for the Napoleonic Wars and the Revolutionary exactly. Wars in France. Very, very well, indeed, with those resources and, and manpower exactly. uh, reserves to pull. And, you know, I think the immediate, stepping back just a second, the immediate consequence of America losing the war for independence, of course, is that all those traitorous rabble-rousers who we consider founding <laughs> right. fathers, Jefferson, Washington, Franklin, Adams, would have been rounded up and most likely hanged. Yep. Dead. Yep. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a consequence to seriously Yeah, losing consider. a rebellion. Losing a rebellion. <laughs> Never lose a war, Glenn's rule number three of, of history of all time. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, <clears throat> only a few years later, the Napoleonic Wars break out. Would there have been a French Revolution if the American? Uh, who knows? Well, who, well, boy, you, you, France was in its own dire straits, and they were headed for something. They, they were, were headed for a cliff of some they sort. Were, they were, they were headed for something. Yeah, and and I'm sure that England and France would have come to some gigantic war eventually. Right. Well, but another more immediate thing is, of course, the demarcation line of 1763, setting aside all that land as a Native American protection area. How would the course of the Anglo society and the, and the settlers gone versus Native Americans. I mean, we're not going to pretend that the English government was, you know, a 20th century liberal. It's the 21st century, isn't it's it? It's not new. It's the 21st <laughs> century liberal <laughs> democracy with our modern sensibilities of, of, of human rights. But by and large, they did interact with the Native Americans a little bit better than the they American did, government. And I- so, how far would they have gone in keeping that protection area? Well, the whole course of Native American society 
and European American society could have been completely different. And I think it would have been. I think that the respective native nations would most likely have maintained the sovereignty in their own locales. Right. Who knows how strong that would have been, but I think they would have. And I think having the slower temperamental attitudes from London mm-hmm. would have greatly slowed the American expansion that you saw. Right. And it well, it, it certainly well, would have been slower. Yeah. And it definitely would have been different. I think, you know, you're talking about the French and Spanish territories and what came to be the Louisiana Purchase, those would have eventually been taken as part of the Napoleonic Wars. Right, right. Probably much more quickly and a right. lot more cheaply in terms of money. But but expansion would have been very different. There would not have been manifest destiny. There would right. not have been the overwhelming push to to well, remove the, the Indians. We, with, with talking about there wouldn't have been manifest destiny, I mean, would the British have even seen the value of resting away, like, say, the southeast, southwestern arid areas of this continent from the Spanish? There, there was not necessarily anything there that the British were interested in. Right. You know? And and that was it was a very pragmatic mercantilistic empire. It's like okay, you know, and and you know you see evidence of this, like say with what the British were doing in the Pacific Northwest and and that middle part of the upper present Canadian U.S. border, they were kind of following that French model of we'll send in traders, T R A D E R S by the way, uh, traders. We've already hung the traitors. <laughs> traitors have been hung the traders, and but you know, and, and we're more following that model of you know what this is a vast territory. Let's just let the indigenous peoples that are there do the thing they do best. We'll trade with them to get what we need. Would it have been that kind of a system? Or, you know, like, like you say, I don't think it would have been the maybe not that necessarily that vast push of humanity wanting to go west. Who, who knows? How, how much could the British government have controlled uh, British-American expansion? I, I, I I mean, think, because they were having trouble with it already. There would, there would have been an expansion, but it would have been much more controlled because that's how the Brits do. Right. Uh, there wouldn't have been a lack of desire to control the expansion like there was with American independence. Right. The Brits would have been cognizant. Again, you know, they're not super enlightened from a 21st century perspective, right. but they did see the Native Americans in a slightly different light, being 3,000 miles away. Right. Um, and the sovereignty issues and the trade issues because they're thinking economically. Yeah. In London, that's that's what the colonies are at that at right. that point. And even you know, even in the middle term, if the Napoleonic Wars, they wouldn't have been Napoleonic necessarily. Let's say the French Wars right. would have. Well, but you know, if, if we're, would have, if, would if have we're definitely gonna, spread yeah, to if North if America. We're gonna, if we're going to posit that it 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 wasn't the American, you know, lending money to the American Revolution that bankrupted the French court, which you know many people do posit. <laughs> I mean, like we said, there are already there are already forces that are going to tear France apart. The same sorts of forces that did. You know, for the sake of argument, we'll we'll say that the course of French history does keep playing out. It's still, even if it plays out the exact same way and revolutionary France happens and Napoleon manages to muscle his way to the top as he did, you're still they're still gonna be butting their heads up against an even stronger British Empire that that will have the resources to perhaps commit earlier to the continent in Europe when when, when all that stuff goes down. Yeah. Uh, you know, does that mean that the British century lasts significantly longer? I mean, you know, the British Empire did kind of voluntarily dissemble itself and or begin to in the early 20th century. You know, who knows? They, 
if you, if, if, if you think uh, crazed regiments of Scots and Irish <laughs> drove terror into the French, can you imagine crazed regiments of backwoods Americans charging the fields at Waterloo and Austerlitz? <laughs> yes, I can. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and perhaps even Native American regiments yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. It would have been a remarkable... Yeah. thing yeah. to imagine. And that's what that's why what if is so much fun, right, folks. Right, exactly. What if the first regiment Cherokee his king's own Cherokee <laughs> his regiment. King's own Cherokee regiment. Oh, exactly. That would have been something. Exactly. Um and I mean that's as you know, as we both know, that's a long standing British tradition is to have these these uh native in the sense of born in that country regiments. And they send them all over empire. Right. I mean, you don't want them garrison and fighting in their own country right. as much because that becomes a social right. issue but if you send them overseas well then right and 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 certainly britain still would have had cause to send people overseas no doubt but you know ultimately well you know if world war one the fight the the struggle for for supremacy let's face it between germany and great britain yeah france will give you your well, view but it's really between germany and great britain you know is what sort of dimension does that take on? You know, is that is that going to happen? You know, the Germans aren't idiots either. A United Kingdom or Great Britain that still has control of the entire North American continent, or at least half of it, whew, I don't know if they're going to they're going to want to take that on. Well, there's there's no doubt that the American colonies or Commonwealth or whatever it would have been at that time yeah. would certainly have gotten involved earlier. Right, because exactly they Great Britain would have. Been, yeah, exactly. So they would have been involved in 14, which means all those massive resources would have been deployed earlier Right on. from the beginning. And again, as you say, the Germans would go. They would, they would certainly have pause yeah. to take on an entire continent's worth of At extra. the least, you can say they wouldn't have violated Belgium's neutrality <laughs> and thus bring Britain and its <laughs> North American <laughs> empire into the exactly, war. Exactly, exactly. You know? They could have just done it in Russia, <laughs> like yeah, they exactly. wanted to do. Anyway. Hold, holding action on the French border and and move move uh, move east first, which they had a plan for. But now we're getting yeah. into something else. Uh, <laughs> but the, the 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 main point is that you know Britain, the United Kingdom, it is already starting before World War One in its relations with Ireland of, of of realizing we've got a grant home rule. We've got and they're doing the same with Canada. They're talking about it with Australia, and then of course after the war. Between the two wars, it, it really accelerates. So that's why I say at a certain point, what well, you know what though? I don't know. If, if we're playing what if, with the strength they would have had from maintaining control of virtually the whole North American continent, would they have felt the same pressures from the associated colonies to even get involved? Well, well, well to 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 voluntarily disestablish the empire and move it to the Commonwealth system. I mean, because a lot of that was driven by, you know, the internal things. I, ha I, mean, I have something to posit on that. Okay. Because at a certain point when it, you're looking at all this, I become a devotee of Benjamin Franklin, uh -huh. who declared before the revolution started, you know this, yep. he said that within two generations, maybe three, the capital of the British Empire will be in America. There, yeah. From a pure demographic standpoint, because the population was doubling, what was it, every 25 right, years. Right, And eventually... You know the the throne may still be in London for tradition's sake, right? But the economy, the demographics, right. everything right. was going to shift across the Atlantic. I mean, this was this right. is pure numbers, and Franklin knew this. Yeah, yeah. That the center of the empire was, was going to be out. North America, yeah. not the the Isle True of Britain. Enough. True and, enough. True so enough. And that would really have changed things up. 
And and <laughs> and given that, something else. And, and so when World War One comes along, maybe the cent- the I'm doing. We're all doing quotes. We all do quotes <laughs> we're doing air quotes, see. everybody. Yeah. Um, the center of empire is not going to be right there. Just a few hundred miles from the the right. The it's going to be across an ocean. Europe. It's going to be across an ocean. Yeah. Maybe Britain would have said, uh, maybe we don't want. Maybe Belgium's not our problem. Right, right. True enough. True enough. Or at least not enough to get involved. Well, it's, it's, it's something interesting. You, you know, you're positing that, you know, following Mr. Franklin's, excuse me, Dr. Franklin's <laughs> line of logic. I mean, yeah. And that kind of, in a very odd way, harkens to George Orwell's 1984, where Britain is no longer Britain. It's Airstrip One, and the real power is Oceania's main continent, North America. <laughs> I mean... So even in these these fictional things we're talking about, like a book like 1984 or us supposing things, or even Dr. Franklin's suppositions, it's clear that the thinking is westward lays the course of empire. Mm-hmm. Westward is where the money's going to be. Westward is where the you know all the resources are. So, like you say, does it become a situation where British North America, like you say, becomes the power center, and now it starts playing the tune that. The old island dances too. Ooh, yes, and then <laughs> and then in 1914, a primarily Germanic background English British Isle, yeah, has its own, own revolution against the British Empire yes. of America, joins with Germany, yes. and then it's one big mess. Yes, this is the novel I will there write. There we go. That's it. That's it. That's the alternative history that that would that posits from America losing the Revolutionary War, they become the dominant British power, and then Britain and revolts then Britain against revolts. America. That's independence with german help not french with german help oh, oh my god glorious because for those listeners who don't know the house of Saxe coburg <laughs> is what the windsors <laughs> used to be called <laughs> right up until world war one <laughs> they were quite german uh, but, uh okay so that that's way out what if but yeah that, yeah, that is a way out, but it's not outside the realm of possibility sure you know absolutely sure. but basically and let, let's now let's bring it back to a you know daily life sort of thing the same sorts of professions, the same sorts of aspirations, with due acknowledgement to all the other cultures that were settling in British North America, it was still an English culture and an English society. By and large, a lot of the daily life sort of things are simply going to carry on. They are. I mean, you know, you're, you're like, well, like we said, you're still going to have the rights of the English constitutions, the blessing of the English liberties. You're still going to have the English law system. You're going to have the English money. You know, you're going to have the English folk traditions, the songs, the dance, the literature. A, a lot of things are going to stay the same. And, yeah, the accent's going to change because it was already in the process of changing. But you know how many different accents there are in the United Kingdom right now? In those, in the, go to the British Isles sometime and just start counting. <laughs> if you, know, you can even understand them. If you them. can even understand them, which is, is a challenge. But, you know, in, in a sense, in a daily life sense, it wouldn't have been that different at all. Except. Driving on the different side of the road. <laughs> except for. I'm going to give the British Empire the benefit, the moral benefit of the doubt. In the Americas, slavery would have ended when Great Ooh, Britain yes. declared slavery yeah. over. Yeah. And that yeah. would have very much changed That's uh, very the true. course of, of North American history. Uh, like I said, I'm Because once again, dear listeners, <laughs> the British Empire ended slavery you know, quite a bit I of time should before know us. This. 18, two. Well, it was, well, 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 you know what? Now we're going to go down a rabbit hole. So the first off. <laughs> Can't be any worse than, first off, than exactly. Germany and English. First, first off, the, the Mansfield case 
in England in 1772 decreed that, quote, the air of Britain was too pure for slavery to exist. In other words, the English Constitution didn't recognize the concept of slavery, at least in the home isles, in, in England itself. So slavery couldn't exist there, and, and that's why this, the, excuse me, not the Mansfield case, the Somerset case, Mansfield was the, was the uh, juror who uh, put down the verdict. Anyway, um, that, that's why that case came about, because uh, an enslaved person who was in Britain his master decided he wanted to sell him in, in the Caribbean. And that was widely perceived to be a death sentence <laughs> for, right. for, for very good reasons. And he simply took refuge in someone else's house. And when the master's agents came to get him, uh, the person whose house he was in refuge in said, no, you, you, you can't, you can't take him. Uh, habeas corpus, we have the body. And you can't remove a person against their will in England. And, you know, and English law played out and said, no, he, you, he may be your property, but English law doesn't recognize that you have the right to remove him against his will. So we're not saying he's freed, but we're also saying you can't take him out of the country against his will. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that's just to give you a little bit of background. So, so exactly. And then, and then uh, in the territories, God, it's, Glenn, it's sometime between the 1830s and 1840s, I, I thought it's when it— yeah. It's when it uh, was was then. Uh, I want to say it was the twenties. It could be, uh, but at any rate, it's before it happens in the United States, and it doesn't take a civil war to do it. So yeah, you're absolutely right. That would have that would have vastly changed the course of American development. And still, you know, even if going back to that, the widely accepted, you know, wisdom of conventional wisdom of the expansion of these British American former colonies or colonies you know, depending on getting new land, and especially in the South, getting new land for the spread of slavery. If the country spreads a different way, if it spreads slower, if it spreads just to the what, the, what was called the Old Northwest instead of across the Mississippi, right. I mean, there are so many factors that well, you would have been into play. Yeah, and there's and there's no international border between and there's no international border, right. Canada and right, right, exactly. quote, United States. Exactly. So United the, Colonies. Yeah, it, it that alone makes it an incredibly interesting what if. And I you know, I think I would say that the issue of slavery would have been brought before the English Parliament much earlier because yeah. if if they had maintained the American colonies, there are a lot of slaves that are gonna be dealt with with the increasing mm -hmm. moral tide in England that is looking to end slavery, so I think that will bring that to a head much quicker mm -hmm. rather than later. Mm -hmm. And maybe the it's not the Emancipation Act, but whatever the the law right. by Parliament was that freed uh, that, right. that, that ended slavery right. would have happened to to nip it in the bud in America. Right. The, right. the British kind of know how to run an empire. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they they this this is and, and once again, this is something we talk about a lot here at the History Center. We've got we got two or three people here who like to talk about the British Empire, uh, and and they do. They know how to run one, and you know, uh, and on and on that note, we're going to go start our own empire right now <laughs> because Libba did this motion. I'm doing my finger in a circle. Those of you that are listening, that means drag it out. <laughs> that right? means yeah, it means expand. <laughs> so anyway, last words. Last words. Rule Britannia. Rule Britannia. Britannia ruled the way. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is produced by the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center.